Hey everybody, it's Connor. Welcome to another amazing episode of Drama with Connor and Dylan McDowell, your favorite twins on the entire planet. And because we're your favorites, we know you can't get enough of us and you want even more. And I've got it for you, Drama Plus, which is the name of our Patreon, which is our bonus content platform, where for $5 a month, you donate to support the podcast. We can keep churning out these lovely interviews, chats, episodes, specials with you. And in addition to supporting us, we give you the goods. You get access to our Instagram close friends and you get multiple bonus episodes a month where Dylan and I chit chat with each other about all the fun, scintillating, sizzling Broadway, pop culture, personal life drama that you're craving. All right. Well, thank you for finding us. Enjoy this episode and go to patreon.com slash the drama podcast for more. All right, on to the show. Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to taste in. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got an on the option? No, oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. 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 Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I am Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Connor, the fun is already happening. You know, I, I hesitate to record at night lately because, you know, the sleep apnea got me gal. But <laughs> I am feeling so alive and awake and happy with today because we've already had 20 minutes of fun banter with our guest. I know, I know. I wish some of it was on the air, but a lot of it can't be. A lot, right. <laughs> a lot of it can't. And can. that's we when you know trouble. it's a good episode in store for That's the how listeners. you know. Mm-hmm. It is a dark, stormy night in New mm-hmm. York City, by the way. It, so it's moody, but we're going to settle in for this lovely intimate chat yes i love it now you mentioned to me something shocking because you know we're now in our 30th year and you told me that one of the real housewives of new york of this reboot cast is 35 which is so shocking to me that i can be so close in age to someone (laughs) who's on roni i know aaron is 35 aaron oh my god that's crazy she's the one who's the republican right but aren't most housewives I don't know if most is the answer. I think many of the white older ones are, but I don't think. But remember the season when Carol was campaigning for Hillary mm-hmm. and, and then at the reunion, Andy went around and he was like, who'd you all vote for? Or, or, or no, he asked, did you vote? Oh, like half of them didn't even vote or whatever. Oh my God, that was crazy. They're delusional. But yeah, Aaron, Aaron is 35. What do you think of her? I think she's two textbook housewives. Like she studied what it, you should be doing on these shows and she's not necessarily following her instincts. I think she's bringing a lot of content. And I also think that when she came into that wreath-making party all pissed off, she she did nail the assignment. Okay, she did. She did. But Bryn was kidding. Yeah, oh, I love her. Bryn was kidding when she was flirting with the husband. It's a tricky topic, especially with, you know, especially in that case, a monogamous straight couple. True, so. true, true, true. It's funny because Erin only heard about it. She couldn't see it like we did. So we as an yeah, audience can true. obviously break it down and see, you know, the, the context of it. The dramatic irony of it all. I know. I saw two of the new Roni women in, in addition to some other housewives at an right. event I went to, but we're going to break it down on our Patreon. So oh. everyone has to go to patreon.com slash the drama podcast to hear all of that because we don't want to take up more time than we have to today because we got to get into it with our guest. 
I like the way you think. You all are going to love, love, love. They already do. They already do. But this, I can, I know mm-hmm. this is going to be so fun. Dylan, please do me the honor and read that intro. Absolutely. Our guest today is the icon, an Obie award-winning American stage, film, and television actor. He is perhaps best known for his recent Broadway appearance as Thought Six in A Strange Loop the 2022 Tony Award-winning Best Musical and Pulitzer Prize winner for drama. Before his show-snatching take as the Inwood daddy garnered him praise, he debuted on Broadway as HUD in the revival of Hair. His performance as Memphis in Billy Porter's revival of The Life at New York City Center was praised in the New York Times as the number two in the 23 unforgettable theater moments of 2022, noted as the standout of the production, which also starred Let's see. He appeared in The Nick as Woodson opposite Andre Holland and is also seen opening the feature film A Thousand and One, which received Sundance's 2023 Grand Jury Prize, which is insane, alongside Tayana Taylor. Other stage appearances include The Loophole, Civil War Christmas, and This Ain't No Disco, as well as regionally in Rent, Camino Real, The Brothers Size, A Ghost in Satin, and much more. He recently sang alongside Elvis Costello at the Gramercy in New York and even has his own upcoming self-titled debut album in the works please welcome to drama antoine, antoine hopper. hopper oh my gosh oh my god <laughs> that was beautiful why am i over here tearing up that was nice thank you <laughs> honey that was everything <laughs> watching you react to the bio was so cute you were just like so happy you know god is good i mean that. Mm. I'm really honored to be here. Congratulations to you both. I'm a fan. I think y'all are beautiful and brilliant in the same light. So thank you for having me. I have chills now. Okay, we were (laughs) laughing and having fun and now you're being so so sweet Ah, and sincere. (laughs) Thank you, Antoine. It's an honor. Connor and I adore you. Connor and I were in like the rush seats that were bar house right, right in front of where you stood in a strange loop. And so we saw all every moment of yours. Was I messing around with y'all sometimes? Of course. Yes. Was I giving you face? I think I was living for y'all. I think I was oh living for y'all. Yes. Wait, that's so funny. <laughs> I think I was living for so y'all. Funny. No, I live. If, I live. If people come and they're ready to play. You got my whole show. I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> I, I like love that. It. Yeah. Well, listen, you know, you're also in New York. As Connor mentions, it's a, it's a stormy summer's eve. And we like to check in with our guests before we dive into all the fun and the drama. Antoine, are you well? I am well, you all. You know what? One thing about New York is you never know what the day is going to bring. And as I'm looking out my window, the sun is out and it's raining. This is a beautiful sign. Oh, my God. Wait, you would think that there was a spotlight on. Look how pretty this looks. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, the wow. lighting. Yeah, that's crazy lighting, right? That's beautiful. Oh, my God. I love New York City. I mean, come on. How long have you lived here? I've lived here for a while. And um, I'm excited to say um, that... <laughs> okay, y'all. This, Please don't edit this out. Okay, this is my question to everybody who knows what I'm talking about. When someone asks you that question, you got to, one, go, are they being shady? And I know y'all aren't. <laughs> And then two, it's like, well, you can't not answer it. And then three, you know, everybody's leaning in for the answer. 
So it's like, how do you answer it? Did you say the years or did you say a while? Because I don't know what age you are now. You could be like, oh, I've been here since I was, you know, whatever age. You know what? I have been here since I was 21 years old. Okay. Oh my gosh. Take that and leave it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now you just turned 30 like us. So it's been a wonderful. It's just been eight years. I'm still navigating these streets. Um, <laughs> no, but you guys, literally New York has raised the adult Antoine, and it's like the best oh. city to become yourself, to own yourself. I really, honestly, I don't know where else I would live. I love New York City. Oh, oh that's so beautiful. Everyone has their own unique relationship with the city. I think that's what's so special about it. She means a lot to everyone. I love her. She's not let me down at all. So was it a dream to always move to New York? Well, you know, I'm from Kansas by way of Germany, Wiesbaden, Germany. I'm a military brat. And we moved to Kansas when my dad was stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas. And he was getting ready to actually go to Iraq war. Um, he actually was in three wars, Iran, Iraq, and Kuwait. But all wow. to say, even when I was a little kid watching TV in my living room in Topeka, Kansas, I always idolized the city and the atmosphere of New York City. And then when I got the acting bug, I really became enamored with the city's vitality and with its creatures and inhabitants. I had never seen anywhere else <laughs> on TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. So totally. it bit me and I knew right away, which my first time coming here was during showcase week at Carnegie Mellon University. That was my very first time here. I stayed here for five days and then we graduated. And the next day, I moved here, literally. I knew right away I wanted New York City. Oh, what occurred in those five days that, that really solidified it for you? Well, oh my God, and I hope he's listening. Well, so you know, I just said I'm from Topeka, Kansas. And if anyone knows anything about Antoine Maurice Hopper, you know that I am in love with Jeff Crady. Jeff Crady was my hometown hero in the realm of musical theater. I was able to work on the show that he was the lead in as Pippin. But I worked in the um, realm of choreography and I was literally in middle school looking up to Jeff Crady. All to say, when I moved here, Jeff Crady took me in his wings. He surprised me. He came to my showcase and he actually would meet with me daily and help me navigate, you know, my meetings. You know, you're here for a slurry of meetings. So through Jeff Crady, I actually Jeff Crady and Gregory Trico. Hi, Gregory Trico. I learned the subway system and was able to tell uptown, downtown, east and west. So by the time I did move here with my furniture in tow, moving into Manhattan mini storage and walking around Times Square, figuring out what am I going to do? I knew how to navigate MTA. And I think that's all you need to do. You need to know, you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Okay, wait, so I've got, a, I've got two different questions. I'm trying to decide where to take it, but I guess I'll go backwards before we go forward. So you mentioned that you got the acting bug and then from there on you, you knew you were like destined for New York. We ask all of our guests about the moment they got the bug, the moment they felt like they really connected with the arts in a bigger way. We borrow the term ring of keys for that. Do you feel like you had a ring of keys moment that you can pinpoint for when you got the bug? I think there are two moments, but everyone knows my first theatrical happening, so to speak, I guess, was when I was three years old and I did Three Wise Men. But now that I'm <laughs> reflecting upon the instant where I was in a live concert and I realized this is what I want to do, I had like, I remember it was, I call them stars in your stomach. You know, when you just can't catch your breath and you're, you sit up 
it was during an assembly when Topeka High School Madrigals came to French Middle School to do a concert, and they were the top choir. And if anyone knows anything about Topeka High School, Topeka High School was like the first million dollar um, high school built in the nation in like the late, oh. well, yeah, the late 1800s. Yeah. Like marble floors, thousand people stadiums that they call gym, swimming pool underneath the whole school. It's unreal. But their choral department was unmatched. I mean, national champions. So to witness 16 individuals dressed up in suits and gowns and they're singing magicals, you know, your face is really animated. And you're, I was just, I was obsessed. And the second time was when I witnessed Alvin Ailey in Kansas City. My mentors at the time, Dana Marino and her son, Jason, took me to go see Alvin Ailey. And I was obsessed with the ballet revelations. And God blessed me to be able to set it twice at Carnegie Mellon University School of Drama. Can you talk about Full Circle? Oh <laughs> That's incredible. Come on. Wow. Now, did that land itself onto your lap or were you like, I want to do this? Can we do this? The head of the program then, Liz Bradley, had seen me and two others. You might know them. Actually, three others. Patrick Cummings, Kara Lindsay, Kirsten Brackett, and Joseph Anthony Bird. Four others, my classmates from Carnegie, <laughs> do. I did a little um, adaptation of Wait in the Water and um, the Processional, as well as I've Been Buked. It was like a six-minute teaser. And my professor came up to me and said, I'm friends with Judith Jamison, who we, we shared the same birthday, May 10th. Me, Judith Jamison, Fred Astaire, Susie Lowy Parks, Bono. Anyway, let me just stop. That's why I'm crazy. Legends only. Crazy, crazy legends. But all to say, y'all, all to say, <laughs> Liz Bradley spoke to Alvin Ailey and Judith Jamison gave Carnegie Mellon on behalf of Liz Bradley and myself permission to, add, to adapt it twice. So we did it for Showcase as a fundraiser. And the first time it was introduced to me was actually through a good friend, Hope Boykin, who is now becoming a choreographer within them own selves. But all to say, hello, Hope, how you doing? <laughs> a little Wendy moment there. Oh my God. The, the listeners can't see, but you just did a fabulous Wendy Williams. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's still going. <laughs> I miss her every day, Antoine. Oh my gosh, but you guys know what? Can I just go ahead and put this out there? Yeah. I could see you guys with two purple seats next to each other, and you would pull my focus every morning at 10 a.m. for an hour. I kid you not. I kid you not. Oh no, for God. real. For real, for real, for real. You guys are on, you're on to something. So congratulations oh on your podcast. So I can't wait for your show, Deb. Deb Mar Mercury, um, yes, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh yes. You are amazing. Oh my God. I don't from know. From your lips, from your lips. I'm stunned speechless on an audio platform where I have to speak. So <laughs> let me just think of what to say. No, I'm kidding. So you were here for five days for showcase. Yes. You moved here. Yes. What happened next? Was it hard to book your first gig? Like, I guess, because that's something that I guess a lot of performers don't often talk about. You know, you move to the city. And then most, I feel like interviews with stars are like, oh, let's talk about this credit, this credit, this credit. But I'm curious, like, what happened? How did you get to these incredible gigs that you booked? Thank you for asking that, Connor. And a thing that I love to do is I love figuring out all of our formulas. We're still figuring out our formula. But I get excited when people ask me this question because I'm hoping that someone's listening and I hope I can inspire someone enough to go, well, I'm going to do this. You did that. I'm going to do this. So I want to preface it with, 
this is what I did. You know, I, I graduated from Carnegie Mellon and right off the bat, God blessed me with an agent and a manager. And that's why I knew I wanted to come here. And I got here and my manager got me busy and my agent got me busy. And so I was doing probably about like, you know, seven auditions a week. What saved me and what I want to put in everyone's lap is that I have a friend at the time named Michael John Lewis. How you doing, Michael? We got our equity cards together at the Muni. How you doing? And I moved here and he got me a job. Me and Kara Lindsay. How you doing, Kara? At Bubba Gums. How you doing, Bubba Gums? And guess what, you yes. all? So when I first moved here, I moved my furniture into Manhattan Mini Storage. I had to walk the first few days to figure out where I'm going to stay, but I had a job. So my job was Bubba Gums. So that took off a lot of anxiety. So when I went into these rooms to audition, I knew already what I wanted and what I needed. Those were some of the best auditions I've ever had because I was fearless. You know what I mean? I didn't mm -hmm. allow imposter syndrome to sit uh, to seep into my head and I kept busy with Bubba Gump. So I moved here with a job and within three weeks, I got my first job, which was MTC. A month later, I actually got my first musical theater gig, which was White Christmas. Honestly, when I got that, it just started picking up. I swear to y'all, I, I don't know what happened, but like, I was just really thankful. And I knew that my formula was, I know that I'm an actor, but I also know that I have a deep voice and I know that I can twirl. So I made sure I got into these twirl auditions where they had a featured role. For instance, White Christmas. I wanted the, um, hello and welcome to the, blah, 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 blah. I'm your back room, Jamie, blah, blah. I got it, y'all. And I could tap. And then I sing bass. And then they'd be like, can you read these sides? And I'd be like, can I? And then that was my formula to get, you know, White Christmas, the Who's Tommy, and so forth. And then we kind of pulled back. And then I went out regionally so I could get, by the grace of God, reviewed. So they would take me serious because, you know, mm -hmm. you know what I'm going to say about musical theater. They don't think that we can act. And I have to, you know, remind people I was taught that it's the elite. It's the elite art form. You know what I mean? You're expected mm -hmm. to do singing, dancing, acting, and then some. That's kind of been my mission to bring acting back to music theater and to also change people's perception around what a gay black man can do in theater. Was that part of like ingrained in you at Carnegie Mellon as well? To play, really play to your strengths, you mean Dylan? Or mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what was ingrained to me at Carnegie Mellon was my heart is in the work. And I really feel like that means integrity. And if that means mm -hmm. holding yourself accountable, why wouldn't you show or share that side of you? Why wouldn't you share that you love Jacobean? Why wouldn't you want to share that you can do restoration comedy as well as sing a nice, solid, you know, low C, two octaves, you know, below middle C? So mm -hmm. I was, I kind of turned it around where my integrity would not allow for me just to show one facet of myself. I want to try to try to introduce all of me to one project. And I started being truthful to myself and owning everything that I am and everything that I can be. You know, a lot of people see that and they get nervous and they get scared. I will say Carnegie Mellon pushed me towards that. And now I'm figuring out as I go, my formula, artistry possesses humility and discipline, but also integrity. I would say I really walked in that and stood on that at Carnegie Mellon University. That's so special. I, lo I love to hear that. Now, who, who were you like looking up to? Like, who, who did you want to be? Oh, my gosh. In the realm of theater? Mm -hmm. Okay. Outside of Whitney Houston, Tina Turner. And I was really big on tennis, so I was up obsessed with Steffi Groff and Monica Sellers. That kind of ages me, but I'll take it. I was going to say, that's just not my realm. So uh, I, just can't, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I was obsessed, if you can't tell, with the voices of Norm Lewis, Brian Stokes Mitchell, 
Mr. Neely, and Nathan Lee Graham. Those were the ones that I really, I just love their voice, especially Brian Stokes Mitchell. Oh my God, the depth of his voice. And then he made it seem effortless. Like I, it's mm-hmm. just on another level. Same with Norm on another level. Yeah, he's up. He's like one of my ultimates. Oh, Norm just, Lewis, Norm. It's everything. Mm-hmm. Have you ever got to work with Norm or Brian? You know, when I came here, Jeff Crady surprised me because at that time, Les Mis was going on. And, Le- and Norm was, okay. So my friend Jeff was the youngest cover of the lead. What's the lead's name? I should- uh, Valjean. Jean- Jean- Valjean. And Jeff Crady actually gagged me and got me tickets. My, so one of my first Broadway shows was seeing a guy I idolized in Topeka as Valjean in Les Mis opposite Norm Lewis. I mean, like, come on. But yes. I, he told me to wait for him on the stage. You know the rest. And I'm waiting. And just so you know, for my showcase, I sang The Devil You Know from Sideshow because I had just done it as well choreographed it at, at Carnegie Mellon opposite Kirsten Bracken and Kara Lindsay were the girls. So fun. Uh, Devin Elow. And Stephen Maserick was Terry, and Joseph Anthony Bird was the um, narrator slash overseer. It was iconic. I, I'm, I'm going to oh say, God. but all to say, I had just got through singing "The Devil You Know," and I turn around and Norm's like, "Hey, buddy," and I'm like, "Oh my God!" Oh my God! And I start jumping <laughs> up and down. But yeah, that like, yeah, that's the only. I've not really worked with many of my heroes outside of Billy Porter and D. Shields, but no, I've not worked with Norm or Brian. Well, we need to get into Billy. I know, yeah. Because yeah. Okay. You, you did The Life. Yes. With Billy Porter. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, was that the absolute standout? I mean, everyone was talking about you in that show. And that was the Tony-winning role, Mr. Chuck Cooper, back in the 90s. And that was yep. that Lettucey in the Lilius role? Yep. Okay. Now, it was a reworked production, right? Yes. It was reworked, revamped, rewritten. That's so cool. Well, how did that yeah. process come about for you? It was unreal. You know, Billy Porter really is an underrated artist, meaning they do it all. You know what I mean? And then they walk it, talk it, and then we'll back it up and fuck it up. Uh, so <laughs> I just love that, you know, Billy's history with this show was that Billy was cast in this show originally. And for whatever reasons, when it went to where it went, Billy wasn't able to go along with it. So for Billy to be able to, Tony Award winning Billy Porter to be able to do a show that he actually was in the room working on, not only do it, but rewrite it. You know, the vision was that Queen was a sex worker, but she was of, you know, the trans experience. She was a trans woman. And back then in in the late eighties, being a sex worker in New York City, it, very dangerous times. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I love that with that, he was speaking to, of course, what's going on nowadays and the injustices with that. But he's also shedding light in a musical theater show, real life. And that's what I'm after. It doesn't matter what it is, what form. I just want to always tell real life and the truth. Mm-hmm. He didn't water anything down. He introduced the dangers of of that kind of work back then the dangers of that life and the life and so it was pretty miraculous to work on something that everyone's familiar with everyone loves but he changed it in a huge way but really not he just made it more human Mm -hmm. and so i i have mad respect for billy and to witness billy work on that and I, i want people to realize that was a concert that was that's not a finished version that was literally the beginnings of something that I want to help make sure that we finish. But I'm very proud of Billy and I'm proud of the work we did in nine days. 
not one of us had a script in our hand. That's unheard of. I mean, like, you know what I mean? We had full yeah. out choreography by AC. Come on, <laughs> AC is everything. And Lorna Ventura, associate choreographer. I just was in heaven. And James Semplinert and the um, New York oh. City Center Orchestra. Come on, those are all new arrangements like that. My way of it. Everybody put their hearts into it, and I was just proud to be a part of something that everybody bought their A game to because of that one thing integrity. So, did you have to audition? Of course, I did. Do you, you know, did? originally, I didn't, they didn't even call me in. Oh. I had to, like, low key, I had to do a campaign to get their attention, and mm. that's. And you know, that's why I kind of look the way I look on purpose when I want to beat my face or do this or do that. Because my whole thing is, please don't judge me off of what you see. I went to a school and I studied what I do. Please don't cut yourself or the vision around me short by reading me for this gold eyeliner y'all can't see that is heavily <laughs> beat on this face. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. I can play a boxer. I can get down. I can do anything. You know what I mean? by the grace of God. So like, that was what I was big on. And I think that's why a lot of people were like, who is this person? And I'm like, I've been here. This is what I've been after. Mm -hmm. I, on purpose, am a gay black man who's out. You will not judge me on the stage for my personal life. I want you to judge me off of what God has blessed me with. And I pray that you will forget I'm Antoine Hoffman when you see me in the show. And I, I hope that's what happened with the life. It sounds like it. I mean, I sadly was not in the city at the time, but it was <laughs> praised universally. I mean, there's this incredible photo of you. It's like a very fierce moment. And it was called out by the New York Times as one of the stand. I mean, that's that's wild. That's the New York Times. And that's why I love New York City. There's something about this city. Y'all have encouraged me. That was a scary moment for me. And I have never, like the love poured in. I feel like the love poured in my way on purpose because people knew we were trying to do something different. And I think people could feel that this guy loves what he does and say what you want. It was a moment and we all chased moments, right? And it was just a beautiful thing that I'm glad I got to share with New York City. Like I just, I'm not ever moving anywhere. I love New York City and I'm glad I got to share that with you all. Like yes. for real. <laughs> you really do go full out. I mean, a strange loop. You ate. I mean, we saw it off Broadway, which and what year was that? That was right before the 2019. 2019, yeah. 2019. Okay. And I mean, and then to be sitting, as we said, front row when we saw you on Broadway. <laughs> you are just beyond. Thank you. That's where I was saying, try to use all of you, y'all, but not at once, of course. But just try to, that's my, that's my challenge. How can I bring all of me to this and to support this show that we're all working on? So I just needed to say thank you. For our listeners, for theater fans, I mean, A Strange Loop really made waves, won the Tony Award for Best Musical. So first of all, mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. Won the Pulitzer mm. for drama, for drama. On the podcast drama, we're talking about mm. the Pulitzer for drama. And you, there's two cast recordings. Mm -hmm. You were part of the whole experience that we were able to go and see. I have so many questions about that, but you played Thought Six. Uh -huh. And so for our listeners who saw the show, can you remind them like sort of what some of the fun parts you got to do in the show were? Yes, yeah, so Thought Six was the base. And I got to play 
the dad, Usher's dad, when we did that scene with Sarabi and Nala and everybody with the beers and 420, I mean, not the 420, but the, what's it called? 40s. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I did In With Daddy, and I did uh, his self-loathing. Hi, Usher. How you doing? <laughs> it's your financial faggotry, baby. We need to discuss the situation with shitty bank student loans. <laughs> Incredible. And, of course, you know, I was a part of the choir, the judgmental in the closet deacon in the front mm -hmm. row. I wish I could see it again. It was just such a remarkable piece. And what was that whole journey like? I mean, looking back on it now, I mean, I don't want to say it's over, but like, you know, you were there from start to what many might say, like the end. What was, what do you, when you look back, what do you think about when you remember A Strange Loop? You know, I think for that show, because I was involved six and a half years, I grew into mature actor Antoine. It was a very hard challenge. You know, that show is very grueling. It's it's upbeat, 90 minutes. To do that for six and a half years, whoo! <laughs> um, I have mad respect for us um, Broadway actors and even those that haven't even been on Broadway. I just have respect for what we do, what we have the nerve and the audacity to get up and do and repeat every day, eight times a week. I don't think people realize the beasts that we are. And so I really grew into the mindset behind the formula of staying on the show this long and keeping it fresh, not getting lazy, but working because you've been in it for six years. That is that is a mind game with all its own, you know, on its own. And so when you guys say you came to see the show, that means a lot to me because I cannot stand when I go see a show. And as my professor calls it, lurking. Please don't lurk on the stage because there's some of us that would give anything to be up there. I want people to go to a show and I pray that not only you see it in me, but in the show, you see, so to speak, the spark, the spark of creation. I want you to get the the bug. I want you to see that this is a, um, it's a happening. I keep coming to that word. It's a happening. It's beautiful. You never know what someone's going through and what they may need. And a part of my ministry is I love to make people feel good and escape the reality through theater, like we all love mm -hmm. to do. So, you know, that was what I was, that was the challenge for me, keeping it fresh six years later and, and keeping your head in the game, keeping your body in tick-tock shape <laughs> and taking care of yourself. I was always mindful. I always thought in the back of my head it would end up on Broadway. So it's kind of, you always had something to, I hate to say, but like dream for and live for. And I'm just, I'm so thankful once again to everyone, especially the New York City theater scene for giving us Black people a chance. Like I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I'm glad people realize it's a universal story about finding oneself and accepting yourself absolutely 100 percent. and it was it was also special i mean like you said a universal story but when i saw it i was like oh my god i don't know if i've ever seen a piece of theater where grinders involved truvada's involved they're saying bussy wow. there's yeah. you know it really was it's the way we talk in real life you know it didn't feel like something that was so removed yeah. and wasn't like play dialogue it was no i have a question a specific question about the inward data yeah. sequence in particular when I saw it, when we saw it, Connor uh -huh. and I saw it at Playwrights, it felt like there was something different about it than when it was ultimately on Broadway. I don't know if it felt a little bit more, something felt maybe a little bit more uncomfortable about the situation at Playwrights than it was when I saw it on Broadway, which maybe felt just like typical 
hookup. I don't really know what the right way to explain. Not like typical. No, you're absolutely right. Was there a conscious development of that scene as it went from off-Broadway to maybe Willie Mammoth and Broadway? I'll be honest. It was relayed that it was becoming the event of the show. Oh. So... That's interesting. It was certainly something I walked away from it, remember, you know, top of my mind. Well, it's the real, I mean, it's the, if you're scoring this show and you had to make a mark, and remember it's 90 minutes, no intermission, where would be the mark from A to B? You know what I'm saying? First, it would Mm -hmm. be there. Yeah. That's when the the tide changes. So it's kind of like, no matter what you do, it's going, that's when the lights get dark. It's a whole new thing. You know what I mean? I'm not going to say any of the dialogue, but it's so brilliantly well-crafted. No matter if you did it with nothing on stage, it's going to be a new moment. So that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the beautiful artistry of Michael R. Jackson. And that's why A Strange Loop mm-hmm. is one of those stories structurally. It's one for the books that can easily be added to American drama what we what we study in the schools all to say yes there was an effort to make sure that the event we didn't lose usher this is usher's narrative Mm. and playwrights they felt that it was people who were kind of worried about usher after that was did this happen did that happen did he walk away with this and then their whole minds there and then they have a different perception of usher and they're worried and concerned where we wanted to kind of tell the story that this happened and then this happened. And then, the, you know, not just this happened because there was still more of the story <laughs> to tell. And that, you right. guys, uh, that, folks, is called dramaturgy. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, was Boundaries in Period. it in Playwrights then? Because that's that song that yeah. follows it. Yeah. It kind of helps lead onwards. Right. And it really, it really sets what a, what a beautiful transition. I mean, before everyone's eyes, Usher, you leave one scene and you literally, you're alone on the stage. You get to get comfortable, rip everything off and then ask yourself, well, sing yourself. What are my boundaries? I have no boundaries. How did I, why did I do that? And then you go right into back to past life. We all do that every day not about sexual Mm -hmm. boundaries, this boundaries. We always have that moment. And it's just, it's comforting to see. You know what I mean? I know it was comforting for people, for people to witness and to see, to to know that you're not alone. We all, we all question. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further though, your other Broadway credit that is one of Connor and I's absolute favorites is hair. You have this knack for, for being in these shows that you, you tend to bear it all in ways. You know, you, (laughs) You, you you show your body and all the in the life and uh, strange. It's part of the formula. It's part of the formula. Was there any nervousness about being naked on stage in hair? Let's let's see. I'm early twenties, baby out of school. Heck no, I wanted that debut. Heck no. Yeah. With Diane Paulus, <laughs> come on. I know. And low key, you don't know this, but I used to listen to hair. Like I'm, I'm an old soul. I'm sure you can tell by the afro and my beard and and the flavor I bring. I've always been a hair fanatic. The '60s and '70s were were my are the are the, are the decades I'm obsessed with. They were my favorite subjects in social studies, studying the Vietnam War. I was obsessed with Forrest Gump soundtrack, which Fifth Degree sing. <laughs> Aquarius and all that, mm-hmm. you know, so this was right up my alley. It actually helped put me or find a brand. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. I, I see. I could actually see that. Yeah. yeah. And you were HUD, of course, but you, you replaced in the original cast. Okay. Yes. 
So when I joined Hair, what happened was I replaced Michael James Scott's track because Michael James Scott replaced Tomar Wilson because Tomar Wilson was going on to Book of Mormon. Now, an interesting, funny fact about that is Tomar Wilson was another person that I semi-idolized in Topeka, Kansas. Now, the thing about Tomar Wilson, he actually went on to Carnegie Mellon from Topeka. So can you imagine, I'm the first person to join the cast of uh, Hair, and I find out that it's because Tomar Wilson left for my debut. And it was that just- That is wild. Unreal, unreal. And get this, you know how I told you all that I was obsessed with the Madrigals? Tomar was yeah. in that group when I saw the show. Yeah. <laughs> and then another thing, my my school teacher surprised me when I was doing hair, because if anyone saw hair, you would know that at the top of the second act, we're in the audience. Oh, oh, Donna, mm -hmm. oh, Donna. And we're just playing with people looking for my Donna. And we all have sections. Nancy, Nancy Epic, my high school vocal teacher, found out what section I had. She bought all uh, we're called the Topeka West Singers. We're like the Madrigals. She bought the Topeka West Singers, all 17 of them. And she goes, she waves at me and goes down the line and it's all people I just graduated from from my high school doing this on my debut. I mean, you cannot oh. write that. I was in tears. Oh, that's beautiful. Anyway. Oh my gosh. Wow. What a dream. Wow. And you know, as you're, talk as you're talking about being in the audience, I feel like that revival of hair really did bring this immersive community feel back to Broadway that it didn't have. Like, I remember it was such a huge deal when Dylan and I got to run up on stage at the end of the show. And we felt like, oh my God, we're standing on a Broadway stage. Oh but also we felt like, you know, we're like teens who are closeted going through, you know, experiencing this theatrical magic and in this theater community. It was really so special. And I feel like yeah. hair was absolutely iconic and came at the exactly right time when it was revived. I agree. I agree. And that's why, you know, how everyone has like their own sayings of their following, their, their supporters. I'm going to say my supporters and friends. That's why I call mine tribe because we're a oh, tribe and we were called a tribe in hair. And that's yes. kind of been my knack is that when I meet, you know, people that love theater, like I love theater, you become my tribe. That's love. Mm. You know what I mean? I really, really love that you've kept that as a through line with everything beyond hair. Now, were you with that then until it moved to London? Did you like, or did you move on past that? So that's or? right about when I joined. I joined and get this, guess who else joined with me right after I joined? Jeanette Bayardell. Hey, yeah. Queen. Yes, Queen Bayardell. So what happened is that we knew there were gonna be, there was gonna be a, a London production with Cameron McIntosh. And we didn't know if Michael James Scott was going to stay here and do Mormon or go over there and do the West Ends version. So whatever he didn't do, I was going to do. So we ended up going to London. So I stayed here. And that's how I met the lovely Annalie Ashford, Jeanette Byerdell, Wallace Smith, the new cast, Ace. Yes. Yeah. Diana. Oh, right. Ace, oh, Ace yeah. and Diana came in. Yeah. And who was Claude? Kyle Riapko, right? It's Kyle. That's I loved, right. loved in Spring Awakening. Oh my gosh, I, Kyle. Oh, he had such a really good folky voice. Oh, he and Gavin Creel are real Claudes. You know what I mean? Yes. They are really <laughs> real Claudes. Like I'm low key, Diane Paulus, if you're listening, I think you should bring hair back. And I think you, sh you, you should bring it back. I just think we need it. I was actually thinking, you know, when they're, they're renovating the Delacorte now, it's, it's closed now. If they were to reopen it with hair, I think that could be a really fun. Oh my God. I think it's been closed for like 18 months or something like that though. So really? 
Yes, it's like shut down for a while. But I I think that, you know, it comes around when, when you need it and we need love spread. And We need love spread. We need something that brings everybody together. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think that, you know, your original music will also do that because from what I've read about it, it's got a lot of different flavors. And, and you said you're a 60s, 70s kind of person and all of that. Tell us about this upcoming album that you're working on. I'm really excited to be working on this album, which would feature one or two original songs written by me. But I wanted to start with um, my what I would call in the, this music genre. Um, I want to call my artistic statement, being that I've never done an album. I wanted to pay homage to where I come from, which is musical theater, my major. So what I'm really doing is 10 reimagined, revisioned, rearranged Broadway covers from beautiful classic era, the nostalgic era of yesteryear's classic baritone of Broadway, whether it's some enchanted evening, even sample the stylings of Johnny Hartman from Pal Joey, his version of Joey, 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 Sinatra's New York, New York, which now is a part of a musical and perhaps doing a mashup with Empire State of Mind, fun things like that. And then speak of the devil. I'm actually, I, I have a song written with Ace and my other friend from Topeka, Kansas, whose father taught me theater at Topeka West High School. He went to, his name's Nathan Goheen. Hi, Nathan, who is a graduate of Manhattan School of Music here in New York. So I have a song called Fly, and it was written during the pandemic with my classmate from Carnegie Mellon, Jordan Dean. Some of you might know him from Prince Harry in the Lifetime movie. The Redhead. Oh, fun. <laughs> That's Jordan <laughs> Dean. That How you doing, Jordan? So we have this song called Fly, and it's just pretty much about following yourself oh, and flying, being the best you can be. And that's kind of when I honestly remember what my father raised me on. And that the word integrity is because of my background. My dad used to say to us every day, do your best, be your best and act your best because you're a hopper. And he would also speak to us daily about discipline, integrity, courage, character. These were words that were spoken to me when I was in first grade. I remember my mom and I was talking about this yesterday. And so this is what I'm trying to bring to my work. And a part of that is also honoring what got me into this. And I used to like be obsessed with a lot of these songs that will be on the album. And right now I'm excited to have a 22 piece orchestra and um, we're figuring out the logistics, but it's, it's, I want to just pay homage to yesteryear with today's voice and look. It's called Antoine Hopper? It's called Antoine Hopper, the debut. Oh, perfect. Ooh, I'm obsessed. <laughs> I, I love y'all. Wait. That, no, <laughs> y'all it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so amazing. Y'all. And you're such I, a compelling speaker. I know. Antoine. I know. I don't oh, even want to be talking Connor. anymore. <laughs> I mean it. I mean it. Oh my gosh. I only want good things for you. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Thank you. Thank you. That means so much. Yeah. Thank you have such you. a nice spirit about you. It's really, it's lovely to see and to connect. We sadly have to wrap this episode up before we say goodbye. We do like to end with a dose of drama, a little sure. something to leave the listeners with. It could be something you want to recommend, something you want to rant about, rave about, share an obsession. And I do have an obsession. I've lately been addicted to this album by this Irish artist named Dermot Kennedy and his new album, Unbelievable. Like 
Dylan, you would absolutely love it if you have not heard it yet. But I've, I have heard Dermot Kennedy. You I have? must say I have heard it. <laughs> oh my it's god! Wonderful. Why didn't you tell me about it? It's very British pop, in my opinion. Like it's like British pop, but he's mm-hmm. Irish. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! I have to listen to it. Okay. But moody. What's been your obsession? Me? Yes, Dylan. Hey, Dylan, come on. I'm reading Mary Rogers' memoir. So, of course, the the daughter of Richard Rogers, who wrote Once Upon a Mattress. And she has this memoir called Shy that was co-written with one of the New York Times theater critics. I forget which one it is. But <laughs> it's very dishy. It's like a memoir that you would, like, hear about. Like, it, it to me, like, it's not as scathing or as wild as Patti LuPone's memoir, for example. But it it spills spills about like that generation, like Sondheim and that whole era of like young, ambitious, kind of golden age of Broadway's next generation. And, you know, she talks about like dating Hal Prince and how she was in love with Sondheim forever. And how she was oh my God. married to a gay man and he fathered three children with her, like just a different time and how hard it was to kind of, you know, have that chip on her shoulder being Richard Rogers's daughter. And it was, it's really a great, Wow. It's really good. I recommend it. It sounds like fiction. <laughs> yes. That's my drama. What about you, Antoine? You know, I love to be surprised and I love to also be scared and gagged. So I'm going to be real. I'm obsessed scared. with this thing on HBO Max called American Monster. Oh. And I'm going to tell you why I'm obsessed with it because the production values on a 10, even if you go back eight seasons ago, it's on a 10. The actors are giving you everything. I'm, I'm gagged by the acting. It's one of those like, unsolved mysteries, but it's not unsolved. What the gag is, is that it introduces a beautiful family story within the first 20 minutes, very detailed home videos, and then boom, the mom's killing everybody in the sleep. You feel me? (gasps) So it just keeps me on edge. I jump, I look left and right, I get up many times, I make sure I lock the doors. I like things like that, I'm weird. Uh, You're speaking my language though, that is so me. Okay, so American Monster and Body in the Basement. Okay. Oh God, that gives me a chill. But you know, it was Jeffrey Dahmer did it to me. It's that. Yeah. That's yeah. (laughs) So American Monster, and it's all like true stories. Yes, that's exactly. Yes, and it's not corny. Like when they play it back, it's like a movie. You're like, and then they'll show actual footage, and Mm -hmm. they'll have actual audio. It's amazing in these documentaries how much home video there always is of these families and these kids. And I'm gagged by how much work it is just for one. When I tell you, they have about 13 seasons. It's called American Monster. I, I couldn't turn it off. I could not turn it off. I'll have to look into it. Because that's, <laughs> you're speaking my my genre right there. That's, I know. But it's what I want to me. feel a little. What I do want to put in everyone's ear is just, I want to pose a question. No, no answer right now. But whatever happened to the position of the dramaturg in American musical theater? No, in musical theater. Now, in theater, whatever happened to the dramaturg? And I'd be interested in coming back to discuss this with whomever. But I just want to put that out there while we're making cuts left and right. Um, I just want to know whatever happened to the dramaturg. That's all. I I echo it. I'm glad we, I I know. I I wish we had time to dive into it here today. Antoine, your family. (laughs) Antoine, your family now. Okay. You're part of the drama family. This has been so much fun. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Honey, I have my mic on mute, screaming. <laughs> I love y'all. I screamed. I know I just turned it. I know I turned the pot. Uh, anyway, I love y'all. Congratulations. And I hope everybody, I hope somebody got their life today. Because I love each and every one of you. Because you love 
what you do. Mm. And a part of that is theater. Thank you. Absolutely. Aww. Well, thank you. And I know you're not on <laughs> the other... <laughs> I know you're not on Facebook or TikTok or Twitter, right? For now. For now. For now. For now. But you are on Instagram. And what's yes. your IG handle? At A-N-T-W-A-Y-N-H-O-P-P-E-R. That's at Antoine Hopper. Yes. <laughs> and while everyone's following Love Antoine, it. they better follow us. We're at The Drama Podcast. Connor is at Connor McDowell. I am at Dylan McDowell. Thank you again, Antoine. You are a damn delight. And Connor, I will see you next time. Drama. Drama.